in your copy of the Holy Scripture to Genesis 23 this morning. Genesis 23. It seems to me that after every proverbial mountaintop experience in our lives, there is a valley. After every high, there is a low. We call it the roller coaster of life. Dave Ramsey once said, the only people who get hurt on a roller coaster are those who jump off the roller coaster. And so, of course, Dave Ramsey was referencing the strategy of staying invested through the highs and the lows of the economy and the, the stock market and such. But I think we could apply the same idea to the different situations in life. Don't jump off the roller coaster. Rather, trust the maker and the designer of the roller coaster to bring you safely to the end. Nonetheless, we experience the, the thrill of victory won. That's the high in life. And then our stomach drops in despair when we experience the loss in our lives. That's the low. For Abraham, the high of Genesis 22 gave way to the low of Genesis 23. In Genesis 22, God proved Abraham's faith on Mount Moriah and spared Isaac's life by providing a sacrificial substitute that pictured the future lamb of God, Jesus Christ. But now, in Genesis 23, we read of the death and burial of Abraham's beloved wife, Sarah. And unfortunately, while there, we may enjoy the, the highs of life, there's no way to escape those, those valleys those low points of life, in Abraham's case, the death of his wife, Sarah. The Bible explains that death is a reality because of sin. Hebrews 5, I'm sorry, Romans 5, verse 12, says through one man, sin entered the world. That, of course, being Adam. And death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all have sinned. Because we were born in sin and because we behave sinfully, the wages of our sin is death. So that Psalm 89 verse 48 asks the rhetorical question, who can live and not see death? No one. But when we are confronted with the death of our family member or our friend, it plunges us deep into grief as Abraham experienced in Genesis 23. Therefore, I ask us this morning, I've written it for you there at the top of your notes, how do we face the valley of the shadow of death? In fact, that shadow may be a deep darkness to us. The answer, with faith in God's promises, just as Abraham did. And gentlemen, this remote is not working for me there. Perhaps you could advance the screen. With faith in God's promises, as Abraham did. From Genesis 23, I prepared a message titled, Abraham and the Promise of Faith. Let me pray. I know we've prayed numerous times already, but I just want to commit our study of God's word uh, before we, we begin. Lord, thank you for the moments we've spent together in song and at your table I pray, Lord, that you would go before us now as we study this low point in Abraham's life as he grieved the loss of his dear wife, Sarah. 
Lord, for the many, many, many who are before me under the sound of my voice who might this very hour be at a low, perhaps also grieving some loss. We pray that you would strengthen our faith. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I've divided Genesis 23 into two parts. A simple outline this morning. You have it there if you have a copy of it from the bulletin. Abraham's grief and Sarah's grave. And I would like to then link each of those two points to a counter statement in the New Testament, a truth that speaks to the matter of grief and the grave. And each counter statement will feature the little word not. And I think you'll come to understand this as we progress. But let's begin in Genesis 23, verse number one. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of, of Sarah. Now, it's common courtesy not to discuss a woman's age. However, the Bible in Genesis 18, verse number 12, told us that Sarah was 90 years old when she gave birth to Isaac, well beyond the age of childbearing. And here now, again, the Bible tells us that Sarah was 127 years old at the, at the time of her death, the only woman in all the Bible whose, whose age is recorded upon her death. Verses 1 and 2, again, Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. So Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, or Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan, and Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. We don't know how long Abraham and Sarah were married. We do know that for at least 60 years, Sarah had faithfully followed Abraham through all of his journeys, through the tests and the trials that, that God had called him to. Sarah stood by his side through the highs and the lows. And there were some low lows in Abram and Abraham and Sarah's marriage, yet he loved her, and now he is mourning for her and weeping at her death. Some of you have lost a spouse. Most all of us have lost a family member at some point along the way or a close friend, and there are no words to describe our grief. Even if we, we try to express it or articulate it, for us it's simply a low point in life. But I want to offer you a suggestion this morning. Number one, Abraham's grief was hopeful. Abraham's grief was hopeful. You say, how can grief be hopeful? How in the world was Abraham's grief hopeful? It sounds contradictory and cruel to even suggest. Consider first Abraham's tears. In verses 1 and 2, Abraham grieved Sarah's death and he wept. And for those of us that have lost a loved one, a close friend or a family member, certainly a spouse, those, there is no measure to the tears that we shed. Perhaps even to this day, there are moments where you weep, even though many years have passed and there's nothing wrong with shedding tears over the loss of life. In fact, God created us with the capacity to emote, to know grief and sorrow and pain and hurt. Jesus himself wept upon the death of his dear friend Lazarus in John 11. It was many years ago that Jackie Kennedy was lauded for her faith when she stood up so well upon the death of her husband, of course, the late President John F. Kennedy. And the country marveled at her strength when she remained stoic through the state funeral. Some of you remember that event. But folks, faith is not evidenced by a stoic, stainless steel attitude toward death. Quite the contrary. 
A man or a woman of faith can shed tears and weep at the loss of a loved one. And this was the case for Abraham. But through his tears, the promise of faith in the face of death is the hope of life. In fact, you need to write that down. The promise of faith, Abraham and the promise of faith, the promise of faith in the face of death is the hope of life. And against Abraham's tears, I would like to set the first of our New Testament countertext that includes the little word nots, as I mentioned a moment ago. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, you know it well. It says that of those who believe that Jesus died and rose again, it says, we do not sorrow as those with no hope. We do not sorrow as those with no hope. How so? Through his tears, Abraham could look forward to the future time and place as described by John in Revelation 20, 21, verse 4, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And so I offer you the statement, the promise of faith in the face of death is the hope of life. It's been some 20 years now, 20 years ago, that my grandpa and my grandma Morell passed away. My grandpa Morell went into the hospital on a Saturday evening with congestive heart failure. My grandmother went into the hospital on Sunday morning with congestive heart failure. My grandpa and Grandma Morell were in bed side by side in the intensive care unit of that hospital. And on the very same Sunday afternoon, both my grandpa and Grandma Morell passed away together. My father performed a single funeral service for his mom and dad, my grandparents. Two caskets side by side. Both of them were born-again believers, and they persevered in their faith till the end. I'm so grateful for that. So that the promise of faith in the face of death is the hope of life. It's been 10 years now, 10 years ago, that my father passed away. My dad was diagnosed with colon cancer that had metastasized to his liver. But it was only eight days from diagnosis to death. My dad was asymptomatic. He had no warning. There was no time for treatment. He was 59 years old. My mother, six years ago now, passed away. My mom had breast cancer that had returned to her bones after some time, and she lived with us for a year and a half after her stage four diagnosis. She was 62. Both of my parents were born-again believers who persevered in their faith till the end. And upon the death of my grandparents, and certainly upon the death of my parents, there was great grief and sorrow. And I shed tears privately and publicly. And even to this day, there's a great sadness that I carry when I think upon my loss, and it catches me by surprise sometimes, and I get overwhelmed with emotion. However, my grief can be hopeful because of the promise of faith. The promise of faith is the promise of eternal life in Jesus Christ. And many of you know, I've shared this before, that upon my, on my parents' headstone, my sister and I, we put the words, their, their shared headstone, they lived 
by faith. They died in faith. It's a reference to Hebrews 11, verse 13, which speaks of Abraham and Sarah. They died, I'm sorry, they lived by faith. They died in faith. However, I think there's something else that we could have inscribed there. And and I get this idea from Genesis 23, verse number 2. It's open before you. The Bible tells us that Sarah lived in Hebron. Hebron means fellowship. What a great place to die. In Hebron, in fellowship. And one could put on her grave marker, Sarah, 127 years old, died in fellowship with God. Folks, could the same be said of you? On your headstone, your tombstone, your gravestone, he died in fellowship. She lived by faith. She died in faith. He lived in fellowship. And that is the promise of 1 John 1. Read it. We can have fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. Abraham's grief was hopeful in spite of his tears. Look at verse number 3, Genesis 23, verse number 3. Then Abraham stood up from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, I'm a foreigner and a visitor among you. Give me a property for a burial place among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the sons of Heth answered Abraham, saying to him, Hear us, my Lord, you are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our burial places. None of us will withhold from you his burial place, that you may bury your dead. Abraham's tears, but secondly, Abraham's testimony. Abraham's testimony. Now, I am not calling subpoint letter B Abraham's reputation. At first read, I, I thought of Abraham's reputation. For in verse number six, if you look there at verse six, the, the, the people knew him as a mighty prince. That was his reputation. But never mind what the people thought about Abraham by way of reputation. Consider what Abraham said to the people by way of testimony. That's in verse number four. And depending on your English translation, you'll find the terms foreigner or visitor or sojourner or stranger. And to some degree, these are all synonymous. However, I'll I'll nuance them briefly for you. Abraham's testimony was this. I am, I am a stranger, number one. A stranger is one who finds himself in a place where he doesn't belong with people he doesn't know. And we all know the feeling. We, we've all been there. We're a first-time visitor in a place, and we don't know anyone's name, and we don't know where anything is or how anything is done. A stranger. But then also, Abraham's testimony, he says, I am a sojourner. Now, technically speaking, a sojourn is a pause on a longer journey. We might think of it as a pit stop or a layover or a temporary situation where, where you stay for a while. You're renting, perhaps, temporarily. But your home is somewhere else, and your destination is far ahead. You're just on the road passing through. This was Abraham's testimony. Hebrews 11 says that by faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For they waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And folks, we need to remember that life is temporary. We need to remember that this world is not eternal. And when we are confronted with the death of a loved one, we can declare this same truth. You know what? 
I'm so glad that I had my father for 59, I didn't have him for 59 years. He was, I had him for 40 years, 38 years maybe. Um, I'd have to do the math here now quickly in my head. I'm so thankful that God gave me my father for those years of my lifetime. But my dad was just passing through. And that's his testimony. And I want to report on that as well. This can be our testimony. And in this way, our grief, although real, our grief is real. It can be hopeful. Look with me quickly, verse number 7 and following. I'll, I'll read the balance of the chapter. Then Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land, the sons of Heth. And he spoke with them, saying, If it is your wish that I bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and meet with Ephron, the son of Zohar, for me, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he has, which is at the end of the field. Let him give it to me at the full price as the property for a burial place among you. Now Ephron dwelt among the sons of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the presence of the sons of Heth, all who entered at the gate of the city, saying, No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field at the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of the sons of my people. I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed himself down before the people of the land, and he spoke to Ephron in, the, in his hearing of the people of the land, saying, If you will give it, please hear me. I will give you money for the field. Take it from me, and I will bury my dead there. And Ephron answered Abraham, saying to him, My Lord, listen to me. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? So bury your dead. And Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out the silver for Ephron, which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, currency of the merchants. So the field of Ephron, which was in Machpelah, which was before Mamre, the field and the cave which was in it, and all the trees that are in the field, which are within all the surrounding borders, were deeded to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth before all who went in the gate of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Mechpelah, before Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that is in it were deeded to Abraham by the sons of Heth as a property for a burial place. May I suggest, number two, Sarah's grave was honorable. Abraham's grief was hopeful. Sarah's grave was honorable. It occurs to me that God had already promised Abraham all the land of Canaan back in Genesis 15. Abraham could have simply invoked God's covenant with him and laid claim to the burial ground that he wanted. He didn't need to ask for it. He didn't need to pay for it. He could just take it. It was his by divine authority. But Abraham was careful to be honorable in the burial of his wife and Abraham respected the customs of the day. and He bowed himself before the sons of Heth in verse 7. He acknowledged the ownership of the property. And initially, the, the grave site was offered as a gift. Verse 6 and verse 11. In fact, three times in verse 11, Hebron says, I'll give it to you. But Abraham did the honorable thing. He offered to purchase it at full price or fair market value, if you will. For folks, this wasn't just about a transaction. This was about a testimony. I think that we can assume that Hephron the Hittite and the sons of Heth knew that Abraham was a worshiper of God 
in heaven. And many times over, Abraham destroyed his testimony before a watching world. Remember when Abraham went down to Egypt and lied about Sarah, his wife. Remember also Abimelech, where Abraham lied as well. But here now is an opportunity to do an honorable thing before a watching world and to pay for that place. Let me make a leap, just a quantum leap here of of practical application for us. When, When you go to a restaurant for lunch, for dinner, perhaps as you will even today, Assume that your waiter or your waitress is watching you and listening to you. If you go to lunch today, you might be going in your Sunday best. That's a little unusual. The waiter or the waitress might watch you pray before your meal. That's a bit unusual. They may overhear your conversation. Perhaps you're speaking of God or the Bible or of spiritual things. Therefore, when it comes time to leave a tip, don't be cheap. Be honorable. Don't let your Christian testimony suffer because you're cheap. Maybe you are cheap. Be cheap. That's fine. But not in that moment, right? (laughs) Ephraim claimed that the property was worth 400 shekels of silver. Now, Bible scholars seem to believe that that was a steep price. And it would have been normal in that ancient oriental market to haggle or to barter. But with dignity and honor, Abraham simply paid the price. And so it is that Sarah's grave was the only piece of real estate or property in all of Canaan that Abraham would have ever actually possessed during his lifetime. Remember, Abraham was a nomad. He was a wandering uh, sojourner, living in tents and moving about. He only ever had the deed to the field and to the cave of Machpelah in verses 17 and 18, and he acquired it in an honorable way and honored Sarah's memory in her burial. And it's at this point that I submit a second New Testament countertext with the little word nots. Speaking of the patriarchs, Hebrews 11, verse 13, says that these all died in faith, having not received the promises. They never owned the promised land, apart from this little piece, but having seen them afar off. Sarah's grave, her tomb, the one small cave and the field surrounding it was the sum total of all the land that Abraham owned during his lifetime in spite of the fact that God had promised him everything that his eye could see, from Dan to Beersheba, from the Mediterranean Sea to the Jordan. But that's okay, because the promised inheritance of a heavenly home, a city whose builder and maker is God, is a promise that is not yet. And folks, that's, in fact, by definition, what faith is. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. So be careful as you plod this earthly globe, as you live this life, not to resent your obedience to God, wandering in this world and wondering when his promises will be fulfilled, but rather cling to the promise of faith. Now, by way of conclusion, just a few minutes remaining, I want to offer three points of application for you, principles that we might take with us. And this is not 
and exposition of the text. This is pastoral advice for us when we face the low, the loss of a loved one in our lives. Number one, folks, the grave is a great symbol of hope for the man or woman of faith. The grave is a great symbol of hope. In my 20 plus years of pastoring, I have stood at more than 100 open graves, many more than 100 open graves. Officiating, of course, at the burial of of one who has died, and many of you have stood with me on those occasions for it's been your loved one who has died. And at those times, if you've been with me, you've heard me ask the question, In the theater of your mind, if if you can picture us there at an open grave, the casket of a loved one, you've heard me ask this question, why are we here? What are we doing? What does this mean? Why do we bury the body of our loved one in the ground? And then you've heard me answer my own question. The answer is we bury the body in anticipation of the resurrection of the body. And what a great symbol or a great picture of hope for those who believe that Jesus died and rose again. And when you go back to that cemetery and you go back to that gravesite and you visit your loved one who's passed away, may it not only be to remind you of all of the years of their life with you, but may it be to remind you of their eternal life with Jesus. That's what that grave pictures. It's a symbol of hope. Today, Of course, it's the empty tomb of of our Lord that gives us surety that the grave is not the final resting place, right? We often use that that term, this is the final resting place of our, our loved one. It's appropriate to bury the body out of sight. Verse number four is what Abraham wanted to do. We, we don't enshrine the body and, and, and venerate it in some visible way. It's just the, the tabernacle or the tent, the empty shell, but burying the body nonetheless because it anticipates the resurrection of the body, and it's a symbol of hope for the believer. Secondly, another principle, number two, the promises of God are the ground on which we stand in our grief. Folks, when, when we are grieving, we are overwhelmed with sadness and we feel as if everything is crumbling under us and around us and we feel as if we will completely collapse in despair like that drop of that roller coaster to the low and we struggle to find our footing in our human experience. That's real. So we cling to the memories and the memorabilia for comfort and we try to escape our grief with divergence or indulgence. However, it's the promises of God in which we must stand. Abraham's belief and the promises of God are what prompted him to purchase the plot, not just for Sarah, but for himself as well, knowing that he was just a stranger and a sojourner in this world. Read Hebrews 11. And finally, number three, the burial of a loved one is a profound opportunity to declare one's faith. Abraham didn't always maintain a good testimony. I I cited the line to Pharaoh in Genesis 12 and to Abimelech in Genesis 20. We could add his sin with Hagar. However, I believe that Abraham did well in declaring his faith 
at this point. And we don't know to what degree Abraham declared his faith with, with words. We don't have a record of it here. But again, Hebrews 11 certainly assures us of that. And so I'll conclude as I began. How do we face the valley of the shadow of death? How do we endure that low in life? Folks, I've been there. You've been there. The answer is with faith in the promises of God, just as Abraham did. The line that I gave you, the promise of faith in the face of death, is the hope of life eternal. Let's pray. God in heaven, I'm mindful that there are many here this morning who are grieving loss. Lord, none of us are untouched with the low, the ultimate low of life, and that is the passing of our family member or our friend. But God, I pray that you would help us to stand on your promises, knowing that our only hope in life and death is Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would help us to stand tall and strong in our faith as we declare these truths, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.